Hey guys, how you doing? I'm doing well. I've had a really, 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 really rough week, but I am here. I'm having a good day today. God is good all the time. That's what his character is. He's not good because of what he does. He's good because he is good. And he allowed us to have a small home church last weekend because one of the churches was closed and, uh, we just got to meet some friends, a couple of them, and have a really good time together. And this is the word he gave me, and I've been wanting to share you with, share it with you all week. It may really maybe challenge you at first, or may, maybe you didn't think about it before. Maybe even, maybe you might even might even rub you the wrong way a little bit. But but bear it out. This is God's word. It's not me making it up. Okay. It's about faith, belief, and trust. Now, the first word God gave me was in Habakkuk, Old Testament prophet. Chapter 2, verse 4 says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Okay? The righteous shall live by faith. Again, in Romans 1, 17. Paul says, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness, the right, excuse me, can't even talk. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Faith twice, okay? The righteous shall live by faith. The saved shall live by faith. The born-again believer shall live by faith, okay? Then in Hebrews 11, the very first verse. Now, faith, again, is the assurance, not the hope, not the guessing, not the wishing, not the wanting, the assurance, the evidence, something that's concrete, the proof of things hoped for, not seen. It's the conviction of things not seen. We have the righteous shall live continually by faith. Okay, the righteous shall live continually, habitually, daily, momentarily, hourly, monthly, yearly, by faith. Then it says, what is this faith? How can I do it? How can I recognize it? Now, faith is the assurance, the promise, the evidence, the proof, the concrete, tangible evidence of things not seen, but hoped for. And it's the conviction, knowing knowing, not guessing, not hoping, knowing that even though they're not seen, they're true. I know that's hard, especially for those who don't yet know God well enough or haven't given their lives to him yet. And you're on the journey, and this is important to know, okay? The righteous shall live by faith. So if you're not yet a Christian, you better get this <laughs> down, okay? Not to be mean, but just letting you know it's a faith thing, okay? No. Hold on to that for a second. I have a question for you. Does this mean that if we hope or wish or pray or want for something so strongly and we want it to happen badly enough, even if the motives are good, even if the, the outside circumstances that we're trying to bring about are good, okay? That if we believe or we have faith in our hearts, 
Never mind. Or at least if we say these things, I have faith, I believe. If in our hearts and minds, does that mean that that's that this thing that we want or pray for or are trying to make happen or whatever or trust in is that going to happen if we hope pray wish want so strongly even if it's a good thing even if it's a right thing even if it's a benefit for someone else even if you're trying to be generous whatever the case is if you think and believe I have faith that that's going to happen or I believe that's going to happen is that enough to ensure that that will happen is it? It might be, or not. Think about it before you answer, if you can. What's the shotgun response you would give? Okay, the answer is no. Okay, hold on. <laughs> hold on. The world, especially atheists who say there's not a God, or they don't believe there's a God for whatever reason, Okay. They often say, they're not the only ones, but they often say that Christians have what they say or call or articulate as a blind faith. And they're not saying that to be mean. They're just saying, you know, I'm not going to believe because you believe in something you can't see or can't measure or can't be objective about. Okay, I'm not going to do that. So they're saying we don't have faith. We have a blind faith because we have no idea if it's really going to happen or not. We don't even know if God is actually alive or not. All those things, okay? We are just, we have a faith, but, but it's a blind faith because there's nothing tangible or we can't see it or we can't know it, those kinds of things. Actually, agnostics say the same thing. They don't say there's no God. They just say there's no way to prove that there's a God. There's no way to know for sure there's a God, okay? So under the definition of faith, in Hebrews 11.1, 1, they don't have it, okay? So they can't be saved and they can't go to heaven because they don't have what's required to believe in order to know that they're going to go. Okay, so how can we know? Okay, actually, another reason they use the word blind is because the Father, the word says in John 4.24, is spirit. God doesn't have a body. And if he's a spirit, he's invisible, so he can't be seen, is what the word says. So according to the atheist, I can't see it, then I'm not going to have faith in it. Okay, so um, it's a blind faith. It's something I can't see. So they're, they're, term they're, they're not trying to be, uh, I don't think, uh, mean about it. They're just trying to explain their rationale or logic for not seeing it through, not having enough faith. They've got to see something. They've got to feel something. They've got to know. They've got to have that assurance of something, okay? And we do, and that's important for you to know and articulate to somebody in the future because the Word says we've got to be reason, we got to be ready in season, which means at the right time and when we're prepared to, and even out of season when we don't expect it or we're not in church or whatever, okay, to give a defense for our faith, for the reason that we believe Okay, so I can't just say that. So when it comes up, say, oh, you got a blind faith. We got to say, well, actually, <laughs> I don't, and here's why. And that's very good. We're not trying to rebuff them or, or, or rebuke them. We're just trying to tell them, actually, I don't. Here's why I do, and here's why you might never have understood this, and this might help you to believe why you can 
enter into that kind of life too. Okay. Um, there is a hope, okay? But they don't, they're trying to say, and they believe this, okay? And this is how they perceive things, not just atheists, but unbelievers in general. They'll say there, 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 there's, um, there's, there, there is a hope or a wish or a promise, but there's not, or no, not a promise, but there's not a word. There's not a promise, or there's not a deposit, you know, something you can put down and show me that it's real, or a type of earnest money, okay? And earnest, earnest money, if you've ever heard about that or not, doesn't really matter, except for the fact that when you have some kind of major transaction on life, like you're going to buy a business, or you're going to rent something that costs a lot of money, or you're going to buy a house or something like that, okay? Earnest money is something like a deposit that you give upfront, a specified amount, not always a lot, hardly ever is actually, but it's something significant enough that will tell the other person, because of the world we live in nowadays, that you are serious about this. You are committed to seeing this through, okay? So, you know, back in the day, you always hear about how guys just believed each other. That was the society we had, and that's the way it should be now. But it's not anymore. Then you had a time where people would shake hands based on their words. That was good enough. Then you entered into the times of contracts and, you know, all these legal things and everything else. You know, famous people can't even get, and they love each other enough to get married, but they don't trust each other that they're going to stay together or, or something. So they have these prenuptial agreements, prenups as they call them. You know, it's really no faith at all, unfortunately. So if you're going to marry somebody, but you can't trust them enough, then, you know, I even marry him, at least not yet, you know, so that's kind of a strange concept to me, but okay. Um, so, you know, they're saying there's, there, there's, there's, it's a blind faith. There's nothing tangible. There's not a word. There's not a promise. There's no deposit. There's no earnest money or anything like that. Okay. So there's nothing to let you know that there's a transaction, either you for the other person or the other person for you. In this case, your salvation, you wanting salvation, knowing you're going to get it. And, and knowing you're going to go to heaven when you die because those things haven't happened yet. Remember, we talked about faith is a thing, the evidence of things unseen or unobtained or yet to be obtained. That's what we're talking about. So faith is that key. And it says the righteous shall live by faith. Habakkuk said it. Paul said it in Romans, and it's another place in the scripture. So it's very key. And not just faith, but you could call it belief. I don't really like belief because it's kind of... As it's used in scripture, it is um, a good word to use, but it's not quite strong enough for me. Okay, you need to say, I believe, you need to say trust, because that brings a belief in something to a different level. Uh, it's more committal, it's more engaged, it's more personal, it has more to, to risk, more to gain, that kind of thing. And also uh, trust, trust and faith and belief. So, so believe is probably the... The, the least favorite of mine are the three terms, but trust and belief, faith are excellent. Now, based on all that, okay, I really, I really believe, friends, that Jesus intentionally calls the Holy Spirit, right? He refers to him as a deposit in our lives, in our hearts. And he also says that it's a guarantee of our salvation. Did you hear that? Did you know that? 
Okay, so I think that's intentionally, purposefully, why Jesus called it a deposit or a guarantee because of the, the, the tangibility of that, you know, and he could have just said, believe me, because we don't believe him. What are we doing? Giving our eternal souls to him for eternal life, for all of eternity. You know, we got to, you know, lots of times we don't have any problem giving our souls to Jesus, but then maybe it's because we can't see it yet, but I don't know. Maybe it's easier for some reason, but then we have a lot, real hard time trusting him for the little things in the here and now. And that's really backwards. I mean, I'm guilty of it as well. Let's think about that for a moment. But he uses the word guarantee and deposit, not just to say, believe me, trust me. I mean, after all, I'm God and I've told you this and you're giving me your eternal soul and trusting me that I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven forever. There'll be no eternal death for you. There'll be a different kind of judgment for you. Anyway, so he's, he's saying that Beyond me just saying it, and it should be enough for you to believe it, I'm going to go one step further. I'm going to give you a deposit of my Holy Spirit in you. I'm going to give, He's going to be the guarantee of your salvation so that you have something tangible and measurable that you can put your faith in until that happens. That's excellent. That's excellent. And I praise him for that. So if we want something badly enough, even if we want to believe it, um, even if we back it up by saying, in Jesus' name, it doesn't mean it's going to happen. Okay? Now, we in the church have started saying and ending all our prayers you know, in Jesus' name. I don't know why it happened. It just did. And none of us really knew why we weren't. And it sounded scriptural, I think. So we just started doing it. Uh, there are some scriptures that would back that up. But most of the time, we don't know why it started. Because I didn't, I didn't do it as a kid. I didn't do it when I first got saved. But about eight or ten years ago, maybe longer, we started ending prayers with in Jesus' name. So we just do it all the time. But, 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 but I'll tell you, if you don't have, if you believe even wholeheartedly, with every fiber of your being, that this is God's way or his character or, the, or, or, or he would tell you to do something like this. And you just, you know, okay, you, you just got to do it, okay? Or you got to believe it or you just do or you just want it badly enough or it's generous enough or it's going to be a great benefit to someone else, believe it or not. So you pray for something and say, I believe this is going to happen in the name of Jesus as if that's going to make it better or if that's going to somehow solidify it even more or somehow now Jesus is committed you know or obligated to answer that prayer of faith whatever it's based on no matter how hard we strongly we believe in it because we say in Jesus name at the end of it well you know that's not quite right that's kind of superstitious when you think about it you know it's like if I just say these three words at the end of this prayer because I believe it strongly enough that's going to make it happen. I don't mean to say it to be rough, but it's kind of that's kind of what it is, really. Um, also, another kind of bad thing about this that the Lord showed me, and why this whole thing—well, one of the main, two of the main, one of the two main purposes in all of this—is, um, you know, if the Lord says, um, He says in the, in the commandment, "Don't take my name in vain," right? I will not hold you 
guiltless. In other words, I'm going to hold you guilty and responsible if you take my name in vain. And what does in vain mean? Using it wrongly, using it uh, in a way that's futile or um, fruitless or for the wrong purposes or whatever. Okay, well, I would say superstition is definitely something God's not into, first of all. Secondly, not into it, into it when it involves his name, let alone an idol. Okay, so that's not something we need to be messing with. I know we didn't know that. That's ignorance. But let's not be ignorant anymore, okay? And so just because we believe it strongly, and just because we add in Jesus' name on the end of it, that's taking his name in vain, right? Okay, that's definitely not something he likes. Okay, let's put it that way. In fact, it's probably close to an abomination for him because God is holy. He's just. He's righteous. He's true. He's faithful. All those things and many more. And very, very loving and long-suffering towards us and to turn around and knowingly or unknowingly take his name in a way that's more superstitious and definitely in vain probably not something he's cool with i'm joking here i know he's not cool with it okay he's quite serious about it. so let's pray let's repent of that you were ignorant i know i was at one time and you'll forgive us he's wonderful about this so merciful so faithful but let's stop it now okay all right, let's get on with, that was important to clarify, but let's go on. Now, if the Lord, if the Lord has spoken to us, okay, if he's said it in his word, if what we hear is from him to our minds, to our spirits, to our hearts, okay, or maybe it's through another believer. You know, not a false prophet who always prophesied good things, okay? That's whitewashing. We talked about this a long time ago, but maybe if you heard it, you believe that. But, you know, false prophets will always tell you good things. And if there's something that needs to be said that's usually unpleasant, God's going to send his messenger, which is a prophet, who his really only purpose is to get people back on path after they've been sinning. So they tend to say unpopular things, but if you want to listen to them, it's great. But if you don't listen to them, you're not going to like them. If everything is going well for you in your Christian life, there's no need for God to send you a prophet or anything like that. But if he does, a real true prophet, he's going to try and get you back on the right path and try to tell you what you're doing or have done is wrong. And I'm using this means to let you see it and hear it face to face. So false prophets will tell you, oh, I believe you're going to get a breakthrough. I believe God is just about to put this big blessing on you, this, you know, things like that. And you want to hear them and you want to believe them. I know. But, and they may, he may, may, he may even do it for you, but he's not going to say it through a false lying prophet. Okay. So, but he can use another believer who he's spoken to into your heart and into your life through a word or a dream, but it's got to bear witness or agree with something in the word or his character, okay? It always is going to back itself up. Um, and it can be through his word, most usually is, but even then it can't be misinterpreted or, or misapplied, either one. They're very important too. So even because you get a word, you got to make sure you're not misinterpreting it or the person that's giving you the word is not misinterpreting it. So I'm not saying it's that difficult, but you definitely have to test the spirits, the Lord says, especially nowadays. So again, you, you can get, it's not a blind faith. Faith is the assurance, the evidence, the proof. Okay, it's trust, it's belief. But um, 
it's not a blind faith because there's something tangible to it. And that's what you put your faith in. That's what we're getting to, okay? The, 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 the takeaway, the main thrust of this is because of all these things, we've got to have an object, for lack of a better word, an object of our faith or to put our faith in or put our trust in, okay? And we've got to have something in which we can place our trust and our faith. Okay, now we place our faith and trust in Jesus, yes, but if Jesus didn't say something to give us a reason to put our faith in that, then that's that's not right, it's not going to happen, and even if we sprinkle in Jesus' name on the end of it, doesn't mean it's going to happen. Okay, now let's look briefly and quickly maybe at some several scriptures, not just one or two, because I want to drill this into you, I want you to know it's, it's real, it's it's true, it's God's word, and, and, and the principle is sound, it's biblical, all these things, okay? Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who was the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Wow, that's a good verse, okay? It says, when you heard the word, and it was the word of truth, not of error, okay? The gospel of your salvation, in other words, okay? And you believed in him, you were sealed, evidence, with the promised, promised Holy Spirit, who is beyond that, the guarantee of our coming inheritance, what we haven't acquired yet, until we acquire possession of it. So our, our, our salvation and many other rewards in heaven is what our inheritance is. But it's not a blind faith because we've heard it. That's an object of faith. It was the word of truth, okay, that we heard. That's an object to, to put our faith in. It was the gospel of our salvation. That's something to put our faith in. We were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Okay, those are things we can put our faith in, and it's the guarantee, another thing to put our trust in, of our inheritance that we're supposed to have faith in until we take possession of it. Praise God, that's excellent, a good scripture. Okay, now Matthew 28, 19, which part of this relates to um, the um, Great Commission. Jesus says, go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of this age. Okay, so he's giving them a command telling people to believe in this so that they can go to heaven and be washed clean of their sins, but he doesn't ask for a blind faith. He gives them objects of faith. He says, first of all, baptize them, baptize them, not in your name or anybody else's name, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Then he says, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, a word. Then he says, behold, I am not going to leave you. I am with you always. Okay. They're all very powerful examples and true words that you can put your faith and trust in not blind faith. John chapter 8, verse 31, very short verse. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, 
if you abide or dwell or remain in my word, you are truly my disciples. Okay, so he had Jews that said they believed in him. But he said, if you abide in my word, that means if you read my word, if you read and study the Bible, what my truth is, how I've revealed myself to you, okay, you're going to grow in your faith. You're going to have something solid you can put your faith and trust in, okay? Not just saying, I believe, Jesus, I'm going to give you my heart and my eternal soul. No, I don't think he wants that. I know he doesn't, okay? He's saying, I'm saying, he is saying, not me, but he is saying as Jesus, I'm saying to you, baptize in the name of, not just anybody, and not yourself, the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So you've got one object and three persons that you can put your faith and trust and belief in to know and have the full assurance that it's taking place. Number one. Number two, I am with you always. That's a word and a promise in and of itself. Okay? A word, an object, a promise to put your faith and trust in, not blind faith. Okay. Um, a little bit further in John chapter 13, verses 31, and then goes into the first four verses of chapter 14. It says, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. And he says, little children, or beloved, or my young, immature believers in Christ, or my followers, in a little while, I won't be with you anymore. Yet in a little while, I am, yet a little while I'm with you, okay? You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Okay? He's no longer with them. He's going back to the Father. Okay? Now a new commandment I give to you, he says, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you're also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's something concrete, okay, that they can begin to have some faith in. But Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me and three times. And he says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. I know this is why you're fearful. I know that's why you're upset. I know that's why you're a little bit shaken because I tell you I'm leaving you. I'm going to offer myself up on the cross for the sins of all mankind. I'm going to be resurrected. I'll be with you a short while as proof of my resurrection. Then I'm going back to be with the Father. Okay, so he says, let not your hearts be troubled just because I'm not with you anymore. He says, you believe in God, so believe in me too, because we're the same. He says then, he says, in my Father's house, in other words, where my Father is, there are many rooms, is his analogy. If it weren't so, if it weren't true, 
I would have told would, would I wouldn't have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And since I'm going to prepare a place for you, he says, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, you can be also, or will be also, or can, will be. And you know the way to where I am going. So, wow. So they've been walking with Jesus for three years. They've seen everything he's done. They've learned from him. They've sat at his feet. They've eaten with him. They've seen miracles. They've had a great, great, great privilege. And a little bit probably taken for granted. There's at least a little expectation that they're going to see him tomorrow and the next day, just like we expect to rise up out of bed and eat and breathe another breath and have it go on for another day and have the blood pulsing through our veins for another day. One day that's not going to happen, but we kind of take that for granted too every day when we get up. So we need to learn, like David says, I think, teach me to number my days so I can appreciate the fact that I'm not going to live forever. When I wake up in the morning, let me wake up in the morning. Let me say thank you for waking me up again. Thank you for the breath of life, which is something I try and say every day earnestly. Not as an obligation because I realize this may be my last. I don't fear things. I don't expect to die, but one day it's going to. And so I've got to number my days. I've got to remember to be grateful for the breath of life every day. So they were expected to see him every day. So all of a sudden he lays this bomb on him and says, you know what? In a little while, I'm not going to be with you anymore. And they're like, what? Okay. But he says, look, don't worry. I'm coming back for you. How do you know that? You're supposed to just believe me and take my word? Well, yeah, I think so, especially after all you've seen and heard and been taught for three years. But, okay, he says, I'm where my father is, there's a lot of places for you to be too. And when I go there, other than interceding for you, I am going to, and reigning for my father's right hand, I'm also going to be preparing or making ready your place. So, and since I'm doing that, if I'm taking the time, I don't do anything in vain. I'm very efficient. I do everything with a purpose. If it doesn't have a purpose, I don't do it. If it's not true, I don't do it. So if I'm going back to the Father, one of the main things I'm doing is to prepare a place or make a place ready for you. Since I'm doing that, then I'm going to come back and get you and take you so you can be there. Right? Perfectly logical, perfectly sound, makes perfect sense. Okay, that's a word and a promise you can put your trust and faith in, even though you don't see it now, even though you don't lay a hold of it now. Next chapter, John 14, verses 16 through 18. Goes right along with that. Thus, the next chapter. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him and they won't believe in it. They won't lay hold of it. They don't have faith unless they touch it, smell it, breathe it, lick it, taste it, hear it, whatever. And they don't know him either because they haven't been born again. He doesn't live in them. They don't have, they don't know him. They don't know much about him. They certainly can't experience him and know him and be led by him and hear him speak the words of Jesus that we've forgotten in our hearts. He says, you know him because he dwells with you and he will be in you. 
He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So he's saying here, believe me when I tell you, I'm leaving and going back to be with the Father, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you alone. He says, I'm going to ask the Father, knowing that he's going to say yes, because I don't ask questions in vain. I don't make requests in vain. I'm going to give, ask him to give you another helper, meaning I was a helper to you, but now I'm leaving, and I'm going to send you the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Okay, He's not just going to be with you. He's going to be in you. Okay, So you know this. You have full assurance of it. No blind faith. You have an object to put your faith and trust in. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm sending him back to be with you. And he and I are one anyway, so it's like having me with you anyway. And I will come back to you like I just finished saying I would. So put your faith and trust in them. And the next chapter, John 15, verse 4, says, again, something similar to what we've already talked about. He says, abide in me, or dwell in me, or remain in me, or stay in me. And then he says, and I in you. And he says, as the branch, or like the branch, cannot bear fruit by itself. Okay, You've got a tree, you've got roots, you've got a trunk, and you've got um, vines or branches. And then they start growing seeds and leaves, and they start having fruit. Okay, a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine or the trunk. Okay, neither can you unless you abide in me. So this is another object for your faith. He says, look, you abide in me. And I'm going to abide in you. That's an object for your faith and trust. Then he also says, just like you are the branch, you can't produce anything apart from me. But if you dwell in me and you remain in me and you stay with me, you abide in me, I'm going to abide in you. Then because you are, you're going to have another object of your faith. You're going to have a fruitful life. You're going to bear witness for the kingdom of God. I'm going to do things through you that you couldn't do that for other people to see and have faith in, okay? So again, we've got objects of our faith, of our trust, of our belief. And then lastly, although not lastly in the Bible, but last on my list, John 16, next chapter, verses 31 through 33. Jesus answered them, now do you believe or do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it's already here. It has come when you will be scattered, each one to his own home, and you're going to leave me alone. What he means is he was referring to the crucifixion. They no longer had him. They were still, he was still on the earth, but he wasn't walking with them anymore. And they saw this horrible punishment that he took upon himself. And they gave to him, not them, but the people that would not follow him. And so because of that, they got afraid because they were his followers and they thought if that happens to him, maybe they're going to do something to me. So they scattered. He said, you're going to leave me alone because of that. But then he says, you know what? Yet I am not alone for the father is with me. And then he says, I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. 
Yeah, you're hanging on the cross, you're bleeding, you've just gotten whipped 40 times, and you're bleeding, and so badly that people even can't recognize that you're even a human anymore, is what the Bible says. He says, even you went through all this, and you can tell me, after everything you've been through, that I can have peace? Yes, because I'm not alone, the Father's with me. And when I go back, you're not going to be alone. The Father's with you, and I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's going to be with you and in you. So there's never a time where you're actually obligated or even asked to have blind faith. There's always an object of that if it's going to happen. Not just strong belief, not just hoping or wishing and even praying, not even in Jesus' name, okay? We don't want to do that. We want to have an assurance of that. Okay, then he says, in the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. So as we go forth in this world, the harder it gets, the weirder it gets, the more strange, eerie things that happen that don't make sense and are out of our control. We don't lose faith. We don't lose hope. We don't look at the circumstances. Jesus has given us way more things that we can put our faith and trust in. And they're real. Why? Because they have, we have a word from him in his word, in our hearts, in our spirits. We share these things that God puts in our hearts as the day approaches with each other to encourage us, to remind ourselves that we have objects, tangible things, real things, promises, words to put our faith and trust in. Not just a hope of crossing the fingers, okay? The righteous shall live by faith. Habakkuk says, the righteous shall live. It's the assurance of things unseen, the concreteness, the concreteness of things not seen, the evidence of things not seen, the proof of things not seen. Just because they're not seen doesn't mean we don't have a word or a promise or a hope or the spirit inside of us. We have objects to put our faith and truth in. Let's do that and let's encourage each other with these words as the day, meaning the day of either our eventual, end of our eventual lives or the rapture coming soon. Now, just as a summary, we should and need to have trust and faith. But, which is the whole thrust of this lesson, but there's got to be an object of that faith and trust to be grounded in, to be established in, and for us to for, for us to place our trust in. Okay? There's no need, really. It will rise up quickly because of our flesh, but you gotta tell yourself the truth. There is no need to fear or to doubt, which is another form of fear, or worry, which is another form of fear, to get anxious which is another form of fear, or even to fret, which means to have these things habitually, or again and again and again. When we go through times of testing, times of affliction even, okay, even like Daniel and his friends, of course Daniel didn't have to do it, but through the fiery furnace, which is something that's horrible, really, it's really a time of testing, it's a time of purification. And God says, who's going to go through that first? The church is, okay? Then the world, okay? Or, he says, even through the plague 
or the pestilence. That's Psalm 91, and I highly recommend you read that, become familiar with it, and earmark it. Okay, it's going to some, be something you need to go back to and back to and back to to reaffirm your faith and even help your brothers and sisters. And even what we're going through right now, is it not a time of testing, which is a time of being tempted or having to, to wonder if we believe or in something or have faith in it or not? Okay, are we not going through times of affliction? If not, we will soon. Are we not going through the fiery furnace? I have this week. Okay, and are we going through the plague or pestilence? If we haven't had this COVID thing or something else, okay, we're living among it. It's very real. It's not It's not intangible. It's not something we can escape the effects of one reason or another, another person's unbelief or another person's worry, doubt, or fear. Okay, we have that around us, okay? So we've got, we should, we should absolutely trust and have faith, and we need to, but there's got to be an object of that. Okay, to be grounded in, to be placed in, to be established in. And that's what we're doing. That's what Jesus has given to us. Okay, Once, now remember, these promises, these promises, these words, they are for believers. They are for Christians. Okay, so we're not speaking to unbelievers. This is not your promise. This is not a word for you. But this is a word for you to, to gain a hold of and consider your sins. Consider what Jesus died to save you from. Consider what he wants to wash clean for you, not to point his finger at you and blame you. Okay, John chapter 3 said he didn't come the first time to condemn us, but to save us. And when he comes back, okay, there's going to be some condemnation and some age raisin for sure. Holy age raisin. But... I don't mean raising, I mean raising. Okay, not raisin. And I mean, you know, there's going to be a time. That Jesus is going to come back and he's not going to be the nice guy we like to think he is and is and can be and loving he's going to come back with judgment this next time okay we've had our chances we've had the word we've got cds we've got preachers we've got online stuff we've got cds we've got sermons we've got books we've got his word all around us and other believers too don't wait for someone and say he never told me about Jesus. No, you read the word. You seek it out. You Google it. You go buy a Bible. You do whatever you got to do to get a hold of this word and make sure that you are convicted of your sin. You realize that you were born into it, that you're wrong, and that, that, that even though that, that your good deeds are just as filthy rags, they're not going to get you into heaven. Nothing you do can earn or merit your salvation. Jesus alone, his act on the cross and his act of forgiveness, and his willingness to do so and to subject himself to that is the reason that you, through after his resurrection, which has already taken place, can get this also. Only then will these words be for you, okay? Then you can have a word for you, a truth for you, a promise for you, okay? But once you have gotten born again, which is to acknowledge your sinfulness and to confess it, sincerely repent from it turn from it is what that means and turn forever to jesus who is himself the author and finisher of our faith that we're talking about okay we can be cleansed from that we can be forgiven we can be made new the bible says we can be transformed we can walk in newness of life we can walk in this trust and faith that we're talking about in these objects of trust and faith We've got to be genuine. We've got to be committed, okay? Not just to play church, which means look like you're doing something on the outside, but not even really doing it or not even really having been born again, okay? God loves us. He's patient. 
He's merciful, friends and brothers and sisters. But he knows our hearts. The Bible reminds us, if you've never heard this, Hebrews 10.31 says, It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And Hebrews again in 12.29 says, Our God is a consuming fire. And he loves you. And he doesn't wish that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's 2 Peter 3.9, okay? But we've got to have faith and trust and believe. And those things have to have an object. Okay? Not just throwing in the name of Jesus out there. Not just wanting it badly enough or believing it badly enough or having a good motive behind it or a good purpose for it. We've got to have an object to put our faith and trust in. And that has to be a word from the Lord, a word in the Bible, a word for you personally from a reputable source, meaning a prophet or, or just a brother and sister in the Lord. But it's got to bear witness in the truth of the word too, okay? And with God's character and with God's will. So we've got to have an object for our faith to put our trust in, to believe in. Then the righteous shall live truly by faith. Thank you, Habakkuk. Thank you, Paul. And in the, in, the, in the book of Hebrews, what is this faith that we've got to have? It is the assurance, the absolute knowledge, not just the hope, not the crossing of the fingers, any of that. It's the full assurance. It's the, it's the concreteness. It's the evidence. It's the proof of things that we can't see. Okay? And it's the conviction that the things we can't see are absolutely true because we've been given an object to place our trust and faith in. Okay? I love you. Let this really speak to you. God bless you for talking to me, Lord Jesus, and teaching me. And thank you for letting me have the means by which to share it with my friends and my brothers and sisters. God bless you truthfully through this. I hope it speaks volumes to you. Amen.